0: Well, I've had an interesting fall with bears because, you know, like the week before I came out here, I was blood trailing an elk for a client and I had a black bear charge me and I shot it with my pistol at eight yards. Okay. And black bear, whatever. I It's nothing that I want to have bite me. Let's be yeah. completely yeah. honest. So the next bear I see is day one. We're up here on the hill and I'm glassing this creek bottom that's right below us. And it <laughs> my my own reaction cracked me up, but... I saw this this bear coming down the frickin' creek and I stuttered. I was like bear. <laughs> and Cole, who's used to, you know, literally the biggest bears in the world, is like, oh yeah, that's a little one, you know, he's seven foot, definitely under eight. He's like, that's literally like eight times bigger than the bear that just tried to kill me last week. <laughs> you know? These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. SIG Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the SIG Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about SIG Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SIGSauer.com.
1: Luke, where's home? Home is in Cheyenne, Wyoming
0: there a long time
1: uh yeah all my life all 20 years what's
0: Cheyenne like
1: you know really flat really flat there's 60,000 people uh
0: there's 60,000 people in Cheyenne yeah I had no idea
1: so it's I mean it's all right there's some there's some stores and stuff some good
2: size
3: everything town. will be fact checked so whatever you say be <laughs> all right man
1: <laughs> Cole where
3: do you grow
0: up was it flat
3: It was flat, (laughs) Pratt, Kansas, baby. Pratt, Kansas, flatter than they say it's flatter than Cheyenne, Wyoming.
1: (laughs) I would would be bad sell.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, we're making a little coffee in the tent. Pretty remote part of Alaska. I think it took five days from when I left Oregon until I actually got to camp and started hunting. That's sort of amazing yeah man no we had it had ourselves a pretty good hunt out here got my first moose got it packed out but luke you're uh you're working as a packer right now
1: yeah so what is a packer well a packer is somebody somebody who's anticipating being a coming guide in in the near future and so in alaska you have to have 60 days in the field uh to, to get your assistance guide license to, okay. to be able to take your own client and so and, and how so, does that
0: get logged
1: uh through, through your outfitter
0: so the outfitter logs yep. days that you're in the field yep yeah you can get it for 60 days mm-hmm. um, and then once you have that you can become an assistant guide
1: yep yeah and
3: some of that that's actually like that's over two seasons yep yeah and I gotta look because there's it's actually I gotta relook at some of that actual facts from them because uh it, it's like 60 days a year but like 30 days of it has to be with a guide you know packing or under contract each year okay so would to add up to the 60 days so it's like over two seasons worth
0: and how long have you been a sure enough guide in alaska
3: well I moved here in 2002 And that's when I started as a packer and then, um, but I had already been up in Alaska hunting before and had hunting licenses. And, um, so back then it it was not the same as it was, as, as it is now. And so I was able to, by the end of like 2003, I believe, get my assistant license, um, The things have changed a little bit for requirements, which happened some years after. So, yeah, I've been an assistant guide since 2003, then got my registered, I think, in 2006 or something. um, Because they put it off a year to redo the testing to become a registered guide.
0: So what are the requirements between becoming an assistant guide and a registered guide? Is that just more time and field?
3: Yeah, once you become an assistant guide, and once again, things have changed, and I have not personally written off on anyone to become a registered guide. Uh, We've had some other guides through some of the outfitters I work with um, get written off for the requirements, but um, I need to look at, see what the actual requirements are now. Yeah. Um, But it's basically three years as an assistant guide, and maybe you've looked at it, Luke, Mm -hmm. Um, but three years as an assistant guide you have to have a certain amount of clients you've been on contract with as an assistant guide throughout those three years. Um, and whether that be six clients or however many for over the three three years um, and days in the field, um, if you're ready to take your, number one, the registered guide has to sign off on you to be where he thinks you're ready to take your registered exam, um, and once, once he signs off on you, you submit your paperwork in to become a registered guide. You have to complete a video that will go before the board, like our guide board, or, or like a board that's going to review everything for the commercial services board. Um, you have to submit a video showing that you know how to skin, you know, proper cuts for an animal. Like, it's not... You don't have to submit a moose one or bear. It's whatever big game animal you feel comfortable skinning. You need to show like the initial cuts for if you're going to do like a cape, yep. or the animal for caping. Um, so you would show initial cuts on how if we're going to do a shoulder mount for that moose. Sure. You someone would be filming. You make your initial cuts. How you're going to do a cape? Some of the skinning. Um, it's probably best just to show the whole process. Yeah. Uh, so that guide board can look through. The whole thing. But then then you'd take that cape and you'd show that you know how to flesh. And so I think you have to, to flesh a certain amount, maybe one square foot of, of hide. But you need to show that you can flesh. You need to show that you know how to turn eyes, ears, lips, nose, all that. There's actually a list on, like they give you a sheet showing you what they want to see. Yep. So it could change. And that's why you'd want to look at what's the updated, what's the updated information they want. Gotcha. You know, um, but you would show that with your face in view. You know, um, flushing, turning—that you know actually how to do that. And it's always best to show more. Yeah. You know, you don't want to show because the guides. You know, you may do something a little weird, but they they want to see. You know, that, like you say, there there's uh, many ways to skin a cat, and so as long as you get it done appropriately, then that's what really matters. Okay. And so <clears throat> once you submit that, you have that video. That's going to be part of you passing your exam you know and there's a multi stage to that exam as well as a register guide and a few different um there's a few panels you set before you can take a written exam and then you set before um i think when i did it there was like three different panels of judges you set before yeah um and then asking you questions on on sexing trophy judging and then also like scoring animals and whatnot but once again that was in 2006 or 7 and things have changed of how they do things. I know it's still remotely the same, but they tweak things as they go along. Yeah.
0: I know you guys can hear some stuff in the background and you know the, the reality of being out here is that like the first day that Cole and I got flown in, like Cole got dropped off with one load of gear in the Super Cub. I came in and when we were coming into this camp, You know, there's a little ridge right next to the strip. And I mean, like, an airplane's wingspan width away from the strip is is this hillside. And when we came in, there was a gust of wind that came over the top of the hill and dropped down on top of us. And we lost, like, our altitude, which was very precious because we were on final approach for landing. We, you know, landed in in the bushes, you know, short landing. Not that big of a deal. These planes can take it, you know, and, and whatnot. But it's also, like... Hey, that was also, you know, closer to, to bad than good. So we were done and we still needed to get Max in, um, who's, you know, out here from Ida filming the hunt and we still had to get Luke in who's the packer. Um, and it wasn't possible. So for the entire next day, it also wasn't possible. You know, we had rain and hail and wind and the ceiling was really low. You couldn't see the mountains. Um, it was you know, it was a bad weather day, so it was just me and Cole out here by ourselves again, and uh, making coffee, making coffee, yeah, sipping on some Black Rifle. Um, I believe you're working on Power Llama right now. I'm not going to get involved in anything uh, that involves llamas. My
3: my sponsor of this show, not yours, but mine, <laughs> is the Black Rifle Power Llama, <clears throat> because James hates llamas, and so I wanted to <laughs> bust open this bag for him.
0: We have been drinking <clears throat>
3: Rambo quite a
0: bit which that and and their geisha were, you know, my favorite coffees I've had from them.
3: Yeah. I'd like to thank Evan for giving me this Comedante hand grinder. We were grinding up some coffee on the hill. So thank you.
0: Super nice. Yeah. Super nice. Actually, we might use one of those photos for the, uh, for this podcast. Nice. But, uh, yeah. So anyways, you're hearing rain, you're hearing some freaking ravens flying over, you know, they're smelling the, smelling the guts from this moose and, um, it just is what it is. So if you're bothered by that, I'm
3: sorry, but here rain tapping yeah, on the tent, we... me slurping coffee and <laughs> yeah,
0: in Alaska and we're probably weathered in today. You know, we, we got this moose flown out yesterday. Um, I've got one little bag of meat here. We, uh, we cooked up some Cole cooked up some tenderloin in the tent last night with just salt, pepper and butter. And, uh, Mm. That was phenomenal, man. It was really um, that good. That was extremely good meat. And Luke, you said that was some of the best game meat you've ever had. I, I
1: would say so, man. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, definitely probably the best When you think
3: of an old bull that you've killed and you just think it's going to yeah. be some old ruddy bull, here we are in the moose rut, that thing was so delicate. I was trying to cut steaks and it was just ripping apart, you know, while I was trying to— cut the raw meat up for our steaks and it's like holy crap this stuff's gonna be awesome but same thing when it was cooked you know i was like
0: man did i dole up this knife yeah, it's like no just,
3: it just you, you didn't have
0: to you could just rip it apart with your fingers Just
3: rip it apart but no like what you said that everything revolves around weather out here and you can't get too uh bent out of shape about the bad weather and getting delays and whatnot and um yeah the guys were delayed a day getting into camp but we we set up on the hill, saw, what, I think three bulls that first day, mm-hmm. nothing special. It was all, you know, the two of them were were, were close to 50 inches wide, legal limits 50 or three brow tines on one side, but, uh, you know, they weren't bulls that we were going to be interested regardless. And then that... When you say we, it's like, I'm over here like,
1: ha, 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 <laughs> 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 you know,
0: I, get, I get excited and I'm not a big trophy dude. Um, but, you know, we, we are out here for a reason and we definitely want to target age class. And this area hasn't been hunted for moose very much in the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and the other reality is there's a tremendous amount of pressure from bears here. These these moose are not advantaged in this ecosystem at all. Yep. So if we can target this older age class and let these bulls who are mature prime bulls that are ready to do the breeding, do the thing, and then these bulls that are at the top end... You know, those are great bulls for us to, to take out of the ecosystem. And uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. But no, I I was like, you know, ready to go. If you would have said, yep, that's your bull, I would have been sending <laughs> sending rounds down range. But yep. that's also a, a big part of being a guide is being able to know what you're looking at with a lot of different animal species. And it's not easy, you know, like uh, let's talk about doll sheep for a second and annuli Ex- explain that to me and, and how hard it is to actually age a doll
1: sheep
3: well it's just like just like anything you gotta gotta study them um it's best to take those things in hand with the biologist and and him show you this is an age ring or someone who's capable of uh, and knowledgeable enough to, to show you what an age ring is
0: the, explain that though for people who don't know what a doll sheep is
3: well they have like these age rings what i mean basically and i'm not the biologist here but um Basically, at the end of each year, they have a ring that forms on there. I mean, it, their horn is just basically what hardened hair or whatever it is over time, or it's like the you know a, you're gonna make me look stupid here for trying to explain this. No, thing. no, no, you're, no, you're, you're no. doing great. But yeah. basically, at the end of each year, you get this annuli that forms, kind of like rings in a tree. Correct, and um, and they and they form in a, in a manner of, and you can go way deep down the rabbit hole, but in certain. Certain places of the state, like you can tell where these rams came from and certain areas of the state, they're way easier to tell where uh, are, are way easier to show the the rings, the age of them is way easier to tell on than other parts of the state, let's just mm-hmm. say. But for the most part, you can count these doll sheep's rings if you know what you're looking at. And, um, you know, so legal doll ram in Alaska is eight years old or full curl. But there's some of these places, like I've hunted when I first started, some of these areas, they would never get a full curl ram for whatever reason. The rams would grow up way back, way low, but would never come to full curl. So you would have to really be able to count those rings and to know if it's going to be a full curl ram. We would kill 10-year-old rams that were just under full curl. Mm -hmm. And so it is valuable to know, but it's not always, that's, you know, you really got to know what you're doing you know, because uh, it could be really risky doing that. You know, it could catch up to you. So you just have to be very cautious doing that. But even if it is full curl, it's always really nice to know how old of a ram you're taking. Yeah. And to get that down, if you can study enough to where you know what you're looking at, it's really helpful to, to just know, okay, oh, this is a this is a 8- or 10-year-old ram. You know, uh, that's pretty handy.
0: Basically, if you're on a hillside and you're guiding somebody and... Let's say you've been weathered out for 11 of 12 days, and then the the fog kind of lifts a little bit, and there's a sheep out there at 450 yards, yep. you've got to be able to drop into your spotting scope and be able to say, okay, that sheep is eight years old, because I can see yep. that there's, you know, lamb tips, and, and then <coughs> another seven <coughs> annual Yeah, it's either, yeah, when you horns. look at those
3: real quick, I mean, number one, the easiest thing is, is it full curl? Yeah. Okay. And if it's full curl, because, like, it's not always great to, if you're in a rush to try to, like, hurry up, rush, age this thing, that's not always great because you could get false rings in there that you have to be very, very cautious of. And a lot of people will shoot rams with the false ring on there hoping that, oh, I think that's four or five or six, seven, you know, because there's two rings within an inch of each other. And they, Mm -hmm. they really think that, oh, maybe you just had a bad winter. Yeah. But that, more often than not, is not the case what's happened and because that ring has to flow all the way around and you have to be able to run you know that biologist or whoever's going to run their finger around that whole whole you know annuli if it is even an annuli right and and they would i mean you may be able to get away with it as a resident but as a guide they're going to hammer you if if that's a false ring you know so you do not want to just make a rush judgment on rings you know i highly advise against that but if, if you can get a good look at it and know that he's full curl that's ideal sure you know that's the ideal way but there's definitely been rams that i've killed in the past that i, I thought there's no way that ram's legal and i look at him and oh wow well, that's a nine-year-old ram mm-hmm. that just had really poor genetics yeah it didn't grow but guess what i had a guy next to me that old farmer that you know had been twice sheep hunting and it was just you know would be happy with any legal ram yeah. you know and that guy was super stoked to shoot this ram that was you know uh, i think this ram was like a seven eighths type of ram but was a nine year old sheep you yeah. know but had really great distinct annuli that you could count all the way around and um and i knew that he was you know for sure a nine-year-old type of sheep because we got to look at him at every angle from the back of the horns front of the horn side where there you could tell that that those were indeed annuli. Yeah. But it's you know sheep when you when you're dealing with an animal that has legal requirements, you definitely have to be cautious when it comes to um, making snap judgments. That's yeah. for sure.
0: So that's a good example of the type of <clears throat> knowledge and skill and equipment that you have to have for just one of these species. And it's.
1: It's definitely like, like being somebody new who's trying to come into it. It's probably like, to me, it's the most intimidating part of it all. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is aging doll sheep and looking at it. And even, even sometimes, you know, you know, Cole talks about full curl and even, even, you know, the slightest tweak on like not being level with them or anything like all that different stuff that comes into play. Even looking at full curl.
3: You got to look at the angles.
1: Mhm. Yeah. You
3: can't because you could be above him, below him. So you could be below him, and it looks, it appears that it's way over full curl. Yeah. But you, you really have to have the right look. Sometimes you're waiting over top of Ram for him to tweak his head, and to lift his hind leg up to scratch his ear, and he's tweaked its head, and now you have a, a level view looking down on him when he's tweaked his head, and you can see where it comes across. Yeah. You know, and you really need to be able to see that other side too, his far side. Where that tip comes up to, and it meets that other tip, and you're looking straight across there, you know. And bottom line is, if it's not, if if it's questionable, probably best not do it. So since <coughs> since coming up from
0: Cheyenne, what species have you been a packer for?
1: Uh, since coming up from Cheyenne, I've been on three sheep hunts now, um, a spring bear, and then and then this moose hunt. Nice. Um, yeah.
0: And you're working for a handful of different outfitters. You're just really you're investing in your experience and in your days right now.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. Just just trying to learn as much as possible and take away from each hunt, you know, um as much as as much as I can.
0: I've been extremely impressed by you um in in your work ethic, um your willingness at at your age, you're 20 years old, to to invest in experience. And packers don't make a lot of money. You know, how how much you know, give me an example for for what it like a standard rate is for a brand new packer who comes up to alaska
1: you know man it it all depends on your outfitter yeah and uh yeah i mean exactly that you know i've had i've had you know outfitters that pay me really well you know upwards 150 bucks a day Mm -hmm. um you know and then i've i've been paid 50 bucks a day and Mm -hmm. and it all varies you know and then and then you try and make some tips on top of that but but a lot and and you've probably got five
0: thousand dollars worth of gear with you
1: yeah, yeah, I do. Um and then, you know, like we were we were discussing earlier about I I'm really fortunate, you know, to have the parents and and everything that I did and and I I did I worked a lot a lot through high school and I and I paid for a lot of that stuff, but I had parents that you, you know helped me a lot as far as gas money for, you know, I didn't buy my first vehicle. I I was very very fortunate in the sense that that my parents, you know, were able to help me they're a huge part of why I'm here, and
0: yeah, there's there's a lot of kids that get that kind of help though, and they they don't get work ethics. that go with it. They didn't work, right. work at a tire shop yeah. all the way. You've invested yours wisely. Yeah. is, is what, yep. which
3: is good because like yeah, you could like you say you could get kids like that grow up to be brats, mm-hmm. and yeah, obviously your parents did a good job uh, raising. Excuse the rain tapping on the on the tent here, but um, but no, that, that's a that's a huge that's a huge huge thing is how you know how you invest that invest those opportunities totally from people yeah you know
0: <clears throat> so you know this is your second season in Alaska yes sir um, of course the first one was you know the year of the worst of COVID so far 2020 um, and you know there's a big reduction in opportunity mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're, you're making more contacts and working with more, more and more people and, and doing more but let's say you know it is a $50 a day type of outfit. what are your duties um, as a packer on a sheep hunt for example?
1: you know man so ah uh, as a packer and and you know you're obviously trying to become a guide and so and so what I when I'm packing the mentality that I go into it is is I'm there to do anything and everything you know what I mean so whether whether that be setting up tents taking down tents, cooking, boiling water, whatever I can help do is what, is what I want to do. You know, I don't, I, I try and be in my glass as much as possible. I want to be a part of that. You know, I, I always make it a point, you know, and I'm not always the best at it, you know, cause, cause the day goes on and, and stuff and, you know, you got to take a break, but, but I always try and try and be a part of everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, in, in the assistant guide application, you know, cause you fill out, it's a, it's a 12 page 12 page deal or whatever that you fill out in it and it says in the field performing guide related duties you know and as we discussed earlier with you know cole was mentioning the specifics of that i've, I've just vaguely looked over it and so guide related duties and include skinning everything that goes yeah. along yeah you're helping
0: hunt. butcher animals you're packing weight you're probably mm-hmm. carrying clients gear quite a bit
1: yeah yeah absolutely you know um sheep hunting that's apparently clear you know helping helping clients carry their yeah. weight and and stuff and so well
3: the, b- just... the big thing is 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 just being there soaking up the knowledge, you know, anything and everything cuz I've definitely been around packers that they are there just for that. Yeah. And you can tell that's all they want to do. Is is that that's what they think their job is, is to pack loads of heavy things, whether it be gear, meat, and that is as far as their mental capability is going to go. Yeah. They'll sit there and not be into it. Um, but, you know, that also comes down to leadership, too, uh, of of making sure that they know what they're there for and, and explaining things to them. Because there's some guys who just sit there and check out. They'll yep. just sit down and plop down and take a nap while you're doing whatever you're doing. And you have to tell them every step of the way what to do. Yep. And and that's depending on <laughs> what the job is. I guess you could be okay with that if you knew that. That's, that, that's what this guy's here to do, whatever. He's, he's not. He just hears a strong back and that's it. But it's nice to get people involved because I've definitely had a couple packers in the past, like sheep hunting, that some of the guides said this kid's kind of worthless. So, you know, but he'll go with you and help you. I'm like, hey, whatever. Sounds good, but that kid turned out to be really good. Yeah. You just had to help him along and explain and give him a task. If you didn't give him a task, he didn't know what to do. Sure. So his mechanism was just sit there and kind of close his eyes and take a nap while you're doing whatever you're doing. You know, but you tell him then he would do something, you know? Yeah. So I think as a, as a guide, when you have a packer, you kind of need to see what they have in them. Not everyone's going to take the initiative like you, Luke, you, you're, you're there. You, you tell, you're kind of like a dog ready to go fetch, you know, whenever you, you're, you're eager, you're wanting to yep. do it. You're obviously not saying you're a dog, but <laughs> like, it, it's one of those things you can tell when someone is wanting to do something and you, it's easy to give them a job and they, and they go do it. All right. And, but there's some that, they're just there because they don't really know what to do. They're just there. And, well, and, so you and have how to could explain, they? This is yeah, so different is from so any other different. task.
0: Yep. Like you can't expect somebody to necessarily know. And we you know, we were talking a lot about how to foster initiative. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges in leadership is to foster initiative. And part of that is allowing people to fail yeah. in a controlled way that doesn't have terrible consequences. But if you stop somebody every time they start to make a mistake, then pretty soon they be, they become afraid to take the initiative to do anything. Um, so sometimes you have to just let them go ahead and, and do the boo-boo and then say, all right, what happened? How can we do it better next time? And, and, and to really encourage people to, to want to take that step out to, to find something to do. And then eventually, as that builds with experience and judgment, then they're doing the right thing with, with good initiative. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. that somebody who has good judgment and enough experience to take the initiative and and go and do the thing like that's the perfect employee. I don't care what the business is. Mm -hmm. Um, it's awesome, but you have to be really careful in in how, in how you bring that along.
3: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My thing is like with guiding because I've been in these scenarios so many times growing up in the, in my early years, of not really having a clue what you're doing and you're just trying to make it through the hunt. And uh, I take it pretty serious letting a guy go do stocks with me and whatnot, because I, all I think about, man, if we don't get this guy, his animal that he paid us to to, to guide him on, it's it's a really big deal to me. You know, and when guys go home empty handed, it's one thing as an experienced guide, if you failed, that's one thing. But if you know that this guy is really a young, inexperienced guide, like I worry about the ramifications of the client saying, why did you put me with this guy that didn't know? Right. But that has to start. You have to, you have to start somewhere. Yep. You have to be, someone's going to be that first guy. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I definitely was on some hunts that didn't, didn't pan out. Some of them was my fault, some of them wasn't my fault. Some of them just, okay, we just didn't see any game in the area. Yeah. You know, but it pains me to think about a guy going home empty-handed because of my guide screwing up. Yeah, You know, and so I'm sometimes a little bit too micromanaging and so much information coming out sometimes when I'm on the hill. Um, not always good information, but just like when we're bear hunting especially. Bear to me is, that's the one where that is a... High stakes game on all fronts of, of costs a lot to go bear hunting, Costs yeah. a lot to go moose hunting. Yeah, but but moose hunting, you can look at these antlers and say, Wow, that is a hell of a bull, yep. you know, or or have your ways like you had your little slide sheet to see how wide something is or whatnot. Um, but th- there's ways to get around that, I think. And you can look at a lot of photos of what a good moose antlers look like and people yep. can, can understand that you know or deer but um bears are one that to me is is a high stakes because cool. i just it's real i've seen it too many times where guys say oh yeah that's a really good bear and they shoot it and it's not exactly a very good bear whatsoever but there's nothing to reference off of
0: yeah well i've had an interesting fall with bears because you know like the week before i came out here i was blood trailing an elk for a client and I had a black bear charge me and i shot it with my pistol at eight yards okay and black bear whatever i it's nothing that i want to have bite me let's be completely honest so the next bear i see is day one we're up here on the hill and i'm glassing this creek bottom that's right below us and it (laughs) my my own reaction cracked me up but i saw this this bear coming down the freaking creek and I stuttered. I was like, bear. <laughs> and Cole, who's used to, you know, literally the biggest bears in the world, is like, oh, yeah, that's a little one. You know, he's seven foot, definitely under eight. It's like, that's literally like eight times bigger than the bear that just tried to kill me last <laughs> week. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. But when you have an animal like a bear... It is really, really difficult to tell, like the difference between one that is going to be nine and a half feet long versus one that's ten feet long. It takes a lot of experience and and a really tuned eye, and that's as you know, a packer moving into an assistant guide, moving into a registered guide. Those are things that you're constantly honing, and you know, Cole's having to do this from miles away sometimes. Yeah, um, because you don't necessarily want to go across this valley, blow everything out with your scent to go up into this basin um, to go after a bear that when you get there is the wrong bear. Um, When it comes to moose, and I bring this up all the time, but like there's the legal limit, right? We've got to have a moose be at least 50 inches wide or at least three brow tines on one side. You have to know what a tine is in order to determine that. So there's the legal limit, but beyond that, whatever turns you on right? Mm-hmm. Whatever turns you on. And, you know, that's, that's a decision that you're going to have to make for yourself and communicate with your guide so that you can be on the same page and working together. Yep. And I would encourage people to take that approach
3: with anything that they're hunting. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and that's the big thing is understanding your client, you know, for, for, you know, there's so many facets to guiding. It's not just the hunting, you know, when you come out here and you have, Luke, you have a good, um, I mean, your, your sense of value, you, you talk to people, you're open, you, you know, you're honest, um, you're outgoing, you know, um, that's a big thing. Cause there's a lot of guides I know, as you know, James, that are pretty quiet. They don't really talk. And like some of the hunters don't exactly have the best of time with them, you know? And yeah, they got their animal, but they're like, man, that was kind of a miserable experience sitting out there with that guy for a week or 10 days. You know, so if you can be outgoing, honest, and just talk through things with your client and get to know them, see what what's tripping the trigger, because that's the other thing was as us guides sometimes we're like at our own initiative out here, you know. And I want to get some other, you know, monster bear because that's what I take. I right. only take big bears. But this guy could be coming, and it just he's just wanting anything that is leal and is. looks like a brown bear yeah (laughs) and and, and especially like my bow hunters yeah you know i really want to look for an old mature bear and they do too but sometimes it's just they just really would like to get a bear yeah you know and they want and and not just anything but like you have to and that goes for elk deer moose anything you need you need to just get to know what your what your hunter's really looking for but the also the aspect is it's like going to someone's ranch you need to know what the realistic expectation of that area is. Because not everywhere's gonna have, you know, uh three hundred and fifty inch bull elk. You know. Yeah. Everyone wants four hundred incher. Everyone wants, you know, a three fifty whatever, but you yeah. need to know, no man, like our upper end is three twenty. Yeah. Well, you need to know that. You well, know, and same thing with moose, same thing with and bears. know what that same looks with, like. Yeah, know what that looks like. You know and, and and you should probably know that before even booking the hunt with the outfitter. You know what they're, but if you're just there for a great adventure and all that stuff, and but that that's what really needs to be relayed at the beginning to your outfitter, or your guide is, hey man, I'm just really looking for X, Y, Z here, oh, yeah. and that could be mainly just a great adventure, and that's what I really love taking people on. Is I don't like taking, me personally, I'm not a huge into taking the guys who are just there for a monster animal and that's it go home i want guys that want to come on a great adventure and and i try to relay that to people before you know when they come to me it's like hey we're here for a great adventure yes it typically comes along with it that we're going to try to take an old mature animal out of our areas we have great areas Um, but it's not the main um, attraction is is just shooting some old monster trophy and let's you know, bust out the tape and score to the sucker as soon as it's dead.
0: And that's you know. my issue with scores and how they actually affect people. <clears throat> yeah. Because that becomes, that, that number becomes the hunt. And, you know, if if I was obsessed with the width of this moose or the Boone and Crockett score of this moose, then not long after this hunt, I would say, yeah, I went to Alaska and I shot a blank inch moose. But since that's not my priority, I'm going to think about what a challenge it was just to get here. I'm going to think about the Super Cub flight in here. Yep. I'm going to think about the weather and the bears and you know everything else that was a part of this, and and remember it as as this gigantic experience. And that's something that Alaska can provide that you really can't normally get in most of the lower 48 states. Um, is just the complexity of, of the experience and there's some risk involved, maybe more risk involved um, in in some ways, but I don't know. It's, I haven't gotten good at talking about it yet, I guess, but hunting in Alaska is, is very, very different. It's very different. It's
3: different. It's big. It's we try to make it look as easy as possible as the outfitter standpoint. And you want there to be no situations arise and make it run smooth you know yes there's some hiccups that happen for sure Sure. mainly due to weather
0: yeah i mean we
3: don't know we're going to hope our tents hold it's not bad but right now but if shit hit the fan this could turn into something that's like oh wow yeah this it happens every season
0: yeah the adventure level can click up yeah and it's mainly weather related
3: yeah Yeah. or some you know like we were very fortunate with your moose of where you were able to Make some great shots and <laughs> and put the moose down. That was, I mean, we're yeah. super fortunate, super blessed. I mean, yeah. we could have shot it across the valley, fell in a bog, you know, packing days and days and days. Yeah, that's we, what I envisioned because I'm an idiot moose hunter. Like I'm not, I don't think smart. I I'm I'm like, there's a the big bull. Let's go shoot him. Yep. I don't I don't think where it's at. I just want to go shoot him. Let's get him on the ground, and then we'll worry about stuff. It's the z- same way I'm with with uh, Goats and sheep, anything. Yeah. You don't think how far it is, just go do it. Yeah. Target acquired, go and get it done, no mm-hmm. matter what, at all cost. And and, and, and that that's what really turns, when you hear people talk about their hunts, it's like, oh my God, we shot this doll sheep. We were so far away from this trip. We had to go up and over this mountain, we, and we were hiking all night long. And it, and it's like, you know, going to where these animals are sometimes is, is what really can turn it into something. You know, and we were fortunate to where we were able to take this moose closer to camp than, than, than what we were expecting. Totally. That was awesome.
1: And, and James, you know, yeah, you know, you talk, I heard you talking the other night about lucky. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're like, we're lucky to be here. We're lucky to do this. And, and everything that goes into it, size of animal, you know, like. You can go to an area that's really good for 10 foot bears, but not everybody gets a 10, you know, a 10 foot bear is, is a lucky deal, you know? And so there's, there's a lot of luck that, that goes into it as well. Yeah.
0: No, I think luck is, is a very real component in, in any hunt, both good and bad, both good and bad. And the the reason that I, that I chuckled about the shooting and I, I appreciate the compliment, but it was a 240 yard shot, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a good distance to be shooting. That's yeah. not ultra close. That's not ultra far. No. Um, that is a good ethical distance to be shooting. But I had a phenomenal rifle. I had an awesome tripod that I'd been practicing on in that location for days. Yeah. And then a lot of practice leading into this hunt. And, uh, you know, that was an extremely doable shot. And it happened exactly like it should have. I hit where I intended to hit and and that's great
3: i'd like to also bring up i mean you had a yeah. good caller there too
0: Phen- phenomenal <laughs> caller
3: yeah i mean <clears throat> i laid down some awesome calls uh-huh. the day before that's true got a. it wasn't that morning but it was the day before uh-huh. and we're sure that's why the bull was there <laughs> was we're there. sure that he traveled overnight he heard my calls so far away yeah in the next county uh-huh that he was right there yes literally right there yeah next door our knob it's the next pretty day. pretty perfect i just i'd like to thank my call sponsor but anyways <laughs> go ahead
0: so let's talk about you know we've talked a, a good bit about like the responsibilities of of the packer and of the guide let's talk a little bit about the responsibilities that you guys expect of a client like what should a client show up with um you know taken in all aspects that that makes them good at their role because they have an important role to play also.
3: Yeah. I mean, it you know, I think it the pretty easy steps are number 1 you need to physically be able to you know, you need to comprehend what the physical aspects are of this hunt. Show up in in minimal good physical condition for what you're going to be showing up to do. You whether it be moose bear deer goats uh, sheep whatever you need to understand physical requirements if this is even the type of hunt you should be doing yeah number one is it a horseback is it backpack is it whatever be able to handle that number one how okay. do you have,
0: how do you have that conversation because that's a tough conversation to have like sure. am i physically able to do this right like what what should i expect and it, you know if i were to ask you that coming into this hunt the physical requirements could be okay we have to carry a you know, 1800 pound moose, 200 yards, which is what we ended up having to do. Mm-hmm. It could also be, we have to carry the same size moose two miles and you need a snorkel in order to get the yeah. meat off Flipers of them. And yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: Well, and, and see the meat typically that's, that stuff is not realistically a requirement for the client. The guide packer can take care of that. Yeah. Is it something that I feel is awesome to get your client involved with yes i do i prefer that a person leaves camp feeling that he really did put in effort um whether that be packing his own gear packing you know helping with skinning you know i don't care if you can't if honestly you can't help pack meat and stuff that is what it is but at least be useful in in terms of like helping hold uh you know, a, a, a leg of an animal yep. while they're skinning, helping with anything that needs to be helped with that you can physically help with. Um, you know, just ask, what can I help with? And, but, because guys can, sh- like, obviously we give everyone a gear list. That's number two. You give them your gear list to go off of. You don't have to buy the exact same word for word piece of gear on that list. It's just something to go off of. But like what I tell guys, when it comes to you know, there are certain things that like on my gear list, like boots, there are requirements that I feel like you need to stay in these parameters. Because otherwise it could really, really cost you. Yep. Uh, whether it be like your ankles, your knees, and, and really cost you your, half your, your dozen, experience.
0: Half a dozen brands of yes, boots on your gear yes, list. I've
3: got five or six like let's say for mountain goats. Mm-hmm. I have five or six types of boots that I have personally used. That feel like they are a good boot for a mountain goat hunt, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you're gonna be side hilling, steep climbing. Um, you need support. Uh, you don't want to roll your ankle. You don't want your feet to to twist and turn inside. And so I know that there are they, there are these types of boots that I know will work. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the boots out there, but what I tell guys is like, hey, if you have a question about type boots, just send me a picture, and inevitably. There's always a few guys that say, well, I've got a good pair of them. Okay, well, send me a picture of them, yep. and they will argue up and down how good these boots are for them, and at some point, you just got to let them go with it. Yep. I spoke my piece, and that happened with one of my Goat Hunters this year. Guy's a great guy. He had every, I'd say that was his weakest point was his boots, but I remember seeing his boots, and I said, hmm, those look a little floppy.
1: But he said man these
3: are great boots for my elk hunt you know they worked so good and I'm like, that's fine but this is an elk hunting we're on a steep mountain we're yeah. gonna be side and he's swarping down these were great okay cool well first side hill we got on he's like man my feet are totally turning in the bottom of this boot i mean what are you gonna say see i told you right you know i i don't want to do that like i don't want it doesn't help anything it at doesn't that point. help anything it, at that point yeah. on a hunt to say see i told you no. I mean, so we sat down. I said, let's go ahead and tighten your boots. Let's see what we can do. And you have to let them figure it out on their own at that point. Yeah, You can't. You should never down a guy's gear when he's yeah. in the field. That's what he's got. Right Now, if, if we're somewhere and I have the extra gear, like the better gear, at, like in my shop, I've got a bunch of clothing and whatnot and, and or other camp equipment that if I feel it's better than what he's got, we'll swap it out. Cause I want him, I want that person to be set up for success. But at the point when you're in the field, you got to go with it and learn to just operate with what you got.
0: It's like tattoos. Like if, if Luke tells me that, you know, he's thinking about getting like a barbed wire unicorn armband tattoo. And it looks good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I thought so. I, 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 I would feel okay with being like, Hey little brother. I don't think that's a good idea for a tattoo. But he, if he rolled up his sleeve right now and showed me his unicorn barbed wire armband, yeah. um, I'd be like, "Cool," because that's not the time. That's yeah, it's it too late. It for, it's too late for that.
3: Yep, yep, I agree. But you know, you need to let the people. It is a cool tattoo.
1: Uh, I appreciate it. Like, yeah, it's a great <laughs> tattoo. It's fun. Color is a little weird. But whatever. <laughs> um,
3: you know, like I say, I I give these lists out to people, and they go off of that. They can either choose to buy or not. But boots are like one of the biggest things, especially on a mountain hunt, that will just absolutely crumble people. Yeah. And it's like a house. Foundation yep. is Foundation, important. Foundation is so important. <laughs> and I've had it happen over the past couple of years with at least one or two groups. And, and, the, and the problem is every step they think about it. Yeah. And that's the thing where boots are huge. And so I'm not like set on one brain or another. Look, at it. we have one, two, three
0: we're not, we're not counting Crocs. Yeah.
3: Um, Luke wears Crocs when he <laughs> hunts. But, um, but no, we, we literally have, you know, like four types of boots out yeah. here and they're all great boots.
0: They're all working well for, for us, for what we're doing. Sure.
3: Yep. So when you're getting back to what you asked, I think the physical thing, um, you expect the people to bring the right types of gear and then also just mentally be in the, in the, if you're going on a moose or a bear hunt, you need to be in that mental aspect of patience you know you're most likely going to be sitting and glassing yeah and and so like the mental attitude has to be there for being able to like when i tell guys hey we're going to be sitting the whole time you need to have you need to come with uh something to keep you occupied and if you don't need a a book um music or anything and you can just sit there and look at me and and, and or out at the mountainside and be super stoked that's awesome yeah you know but there are some people that absolutely can't handle sitting there, laying idle. Because unfortunately, these days we have to have something keeping us going at all times. And um, the guys who come here and just sit on their inreach nonstop is very annoying. Yeah. Especially running. I mean, don't get me wrong. You got a business to run, but it, it 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 just gets to the point where it's one it's one thing if you have good people that are. That can take care of things for you. That's awesome. But like, when it gets to the point where you're like saying, "I gotta leave because I gotta get back to my business," and, and that's if you can't, you're out here to detach. I mean, well, at least most so, people. So, Not some, everyone, some, I guess. Some people are, yeah. Not everyone is, I guess. You so know, some people some are some only people here, are here to, to out, collect, and that's it.
0: And some people are out here to attach. You know, there, there, there's all aspects of, of what, what brings people into the wilderness. Or, right, right, or right. 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 Right.
3: Right. Right. But in, in terms of, like, it's really annoying as a guide um, to show up out here and, like, what you had happen last spring. As a guy is trying to run some big business back home and is pissed off the whole time. He, like, won't even talk to you. He's, like, literally attached to his, his phone. Yeah. And you're like, hey, do you want to look at this bear? No. And and they don't. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that's what a person did. And we don't have yep. to get into that. But I'm just saying, like, be there. Be a part of the hunt, you know, and, and just be ready to do what needs to be done. And, and because if you show up saying you want to, you know, get this mission accomplished, well, allow the, the guy to do the mission. Yeah. Don't compromise the mission with your own issues, you know, because I've had multiple clients have to leave because You know, their family's pissed off at them. Someone at work did something. This X, Y, Z, when they're not even really that big of a deal. They're just like, it gets in their head and they take themselves themselves out of the
0: hunt. Well, and sorry to interrupt you, Luke, but, you know, again, we're out here to to help them achieve success, like, however they define it. And, you know, we can get focused on what, what we believe our task is and that can eventually become something that isn't aligned with what the client's task is so if they need to go home and that's the end of the hunt that can feel like failure for us but in reality like it's it's their hunt and it's their yep. thing one of my favorite books is called the meadow by james galvin you guys ever come across that one no. it's, it's wonderful it's based in wyoming um and uh it's about you know, uh, a bunch of people who have lived on this hay meadow up in the mountains and throughout time. It's really beautifully written.
3: Is this Little House on the Prairie?
0: No, it's not Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Meadow. Okay. Oh. Oh, yeah. James Galtman uh, I don't recommend very many books for people to read. Uh, as a as a, as a a literature guy, as soon as people find that out, they're like, oh, have you read blank book? And I'm like, nope, haven't gotten to that one yet. And they're like, Really? Like yeah, I haven't read all of the books quite yet, huh. <laughs> but um, but anyways, the the meadow is one that I recommend. And there's a there's a line in there that's describing this old man who's lived his entire life on this meadow, and how he eats breakfast. And he sits down at the table, and he puts out his breakfast and his coffee, and he rolls a cigarette, and he looks out the window, and uh, and the author writes that he's hooked on the plot of of watching this meadow, mm-hmm. and you know snows receding out of it. Um, there's a coyote that walks through it. There's a magpie that flies past. And that, that isn't the, the type of excitement that we're used to in our normal levels of entertainment. You know, we're used to watching a movie where everything happens within an hour and a half, you know, from the first through the third act. Or, you know, we, we're used to a, a really action-packed life. But when I get up on a knob like what we sat on for the last few days yeah, there's hours where you see nothing other than everything. Like this incredible mountain range and and the clouds moving through it and these sheets of of rain coming through. And, you know, you're imagining where a brown bear is going to come past. And, you know, if a moose comes out, there is a plot. And if you can just connect with that a little bit and realize that you're now a character in that plot, then you don't necessarily need that in-reach to know what's going on, you know, with your box company in, you know, Southern Illinois.
1: Enjoying it
0: yep. is, is the big thing. And just being present. And it's a skill. Yep. It's not an easy thing to do. And I know yep. that's asking a lot of people because it's so different from the rest of your life. And that's part of what increases the magnitude of this experience is how different it is to be here where we are absolutely stuck until the weather says, okay, we can get a super cub in here. We are here. And there's nothing that's going to change that. Like that is so different from the rest of our lives and you've got to, you've just got to embrace it and be a part of it. Be a character in the plot.
3: We'll see. And like me being forced to sit in glass bear hunting, because that's Mm -hmm. what I cut my teeth on up here was bear hunting and sitting there with the most patient guides, older, patient guides and you're just kind of sitting there thankfully i look at myself as coming you know in the early 2000s getting into guiding the whole technology stage yeah i was coming in but i was never a technology youtube guy looking at tons of videos or like uh facebook you know any of that sort of that stuff it wasn't really my thing back then Mm -hmm. i just wanted to be out here yeah that's probably much easier to come into it back then than now where everyone is so used to the device in their hand and minute by minute changing things out looking at different things on online and then when you sit out here with no service and there's just nothing you're just listening to the wind and the rain and animals coming by every so often maybe nothing for days who knows yeah i imagine that's tougher for people because we're we're so used to like all this quick activity at the palm of our hand when nothing is happening. When you're, th- when you're waiting in line. Yeah. When you're waiting in line somewhere, you just pull up the phone. I do. I pull up the phone. I I, I make something happen. Yeah. And, see and what's
0: happening with other people elsewhere. Anywhere, you know, that's, that's really what social media is. It's like what's going on yep. other than here.
3: Yep. And and I think I try to, like, when I'm glassing, Um. yeah, sure, there's times where I download podcasts and listen to something. I have an earbud in or something. But there's a lot of times where I just you know, get in like a meditative state and can just sit there when it's really cold and just not really move and just glass and just kind of zone out. And that's what I try to get guys, bear hunting especially. You know, when you have just you and a hunter sitting there for days and days and days, you have to stay in the game. And it's actually really one of my pet peeves as a guide is when I look over my other guides or whoever are just like in a face-to-face conversation forever with the, with the client and I'm like you guys know that you can actually use your binoculars and talk to each other and not be looking at each other like you literally can still communicate yeah because I want like my thing as a guide is to stay in the glass you know I'm joke. I'm kind of joking about that but in terms of like in terms of like when I have this conversation with my guide and, and clients I'm like you guys can use your binoculars but it's it's like no that's part of our job out here mm-hmm. is is to stay in the glass and and just know that you got to observe at all times because at any point in time while we're sitting here talking in the middle of a conversation, you're like, oh, there he is, you know, and and that's just something that's like driven into my head is you've got to stay in the glass. I would add and- that
0: to, to the list of things that uh, a client can be working on at home is just spend... You know, leading up to the hunt, go out and spend a little bit of time glassing because it, it's it's a skill and it's something that you can build endurance for, um, both physically and mentally. Um, it's just holding binoculars up. And yeah. uh, that's also a, an endurance level that you can build up while you're on the trip. And I don't want people to completely exhaust themselves and exhaust their eyeballs with glassing. You've got to take breaks and, and learn when to take those breaks but it is something that you can absolutely contribute and oh, yeah. you know I, Well,
3: you, n- you never know i mean like that that's the thing like we're as guides sure we should be you know the pros in the glass but there's plenty of times i've had clients spot the animals you know some of them show up in are awesome glassers, and some of them aren't that great and public service announcement there's a there's a couple of them i would like to make but okay. there, there's public one of them,
0: service announcement number one
3: i would say um, that it, there's a lot of guys that say, oh, I'm just, I'm just not very good glasser. So I just, you know, I mean, there's no reason for me to glass. Like, no, there, you're definitely not going to be a good glasser if you don't try, Yeah. you know, but it's, it's not impressive to your guide or anyone there. If you don't use your binos, it's, I mean, I'm not saying like not using, the whole. I mean, the guys who just don't even use them or don't even bring them up to the hill. That's ridiculous. You yep. need to bring a freaking pair of binoculars. You're on a hunt, you know, and You're there to put forth the effort just the same. I mean, even if you only pick them up and look them for 10 seconds at a time, Mm -hmm. it's okay. That's okay. Just do something. Um, Because, you know, it does, you never know where a guy's like, hey, what is that over there? You know, and you have, you both of you guys look at it, but it is pretty annoying when a hunter says, hey, what is that? Like, where's your binos? I mean, they're in here, but I just don't want to get them out. It's like. Get your binos out. Why do you have? Why do you have an expensive pair of binos? Yeah. So hold on. There's that one.
0: Participate in your own adventure.
3: Participate in your own adventure. Thank you. Public
0: service announcement number two.
3: Getting back to the guys who are on the NH all the time or feel like they need to leave early. No one ever goes home and says, from an unsuccessful hunt, and says, it was my fault. I had to leave early. Uh, or yeah I just got pissed off and had to leave, and it's never, ever, ever their own fault. It's always our fault as a guide or the area just it, it's the excuses we just didn't see the animals uh, the area. you know, it's always some it ne- they never admit that it was their problem for leaving. Hmm. I've never had a guy go home and be truthful and and maybe that's maybe that's false, but for the most part. Because And I base this off of going to the shows afterwards and their friend or someone coming up and say, oh, I heard so-and-so hunted with you or hunted with so-and-so and they didn't get anything. It's like, oh, did they tell you the reason why? Well, they said they just didn't. So it's like, oh, they didn't tell you that they left five days early. Yeah. Or that their, you know, XYZ made them come home. Yeah. You know. So that gets really, th- those things are Pretty annoying, yeah. You know, for for guys, and, and, and James is so much more, more. He's a nicer, more well-rounded, uh, well-worded person uh, than myself. So I appreciate you, you know, being the good guy here. I'm going to be the bad guy and just tell these people yeah. so they understand that none of us like it when they do that stuff.
0: And there there's two sides of that, but one of the leadership principles in the Marine Corps is to seek responsibility and take responsibility for your actions. Mm -hmm. And that goes into the thing that we are talking about with initiative earlier. That's scary. That's super scary. If you don't have a bunch of experience, to seek responsibility is already scary. And then to take responsibility for whatever happens, um, that takes a lot of courage. And whether you're a guide or whether you're a client, I think we should all be looking for those opportunities, both to seek responsibility and to take responsibility for our actions. So if, if I had a client that left early, um, I would probably take responsibility for that. Like maybe I didn't do, and I'm not putting this on you, but oh I would no, say, you're you're a
3: hundred percent right. You know, maybe I mean, you maybe can... I
0: didn't develop their expectations correctly, or you know maybe I didn't do X Y Z to to make their experience what they were hoping that it was. There's things that are outside of my control, and and yeah, ultimately it may be on them, and they didn't have the the appropriate endurance you know, mentally or physically to continue the hunt. Um, but I think that whoever can take responsibility for that um, should do it, whether it's actually their responsibility or not.
3: Oh, yeah. No, and, and that's the whole thing. You have to be able to talk to people and, and, and because there are plenty of guides who as soon as a person starts getting down and wants to quit, go right along with it. Yeah. And if you don't know how to bring the person back up, I and mean, I had a guy this... Uh, in goats, he's a great guy, awesome guy, but he found out that he was not good with heights. Yep. And I mean, on the edges. You know, he could get up on the mountains, but as soon as he got close to the edge with his bow, he would freak out. Yep. And, you know, he missed one goat at 30-some at yards, missed another opportunity at 20, and he just he said, man, I just don't think I could do it. I think we, we should just head out of here. The one guy was already finished in our group. And he's like, Man, I'm sorry. I just can't do it. And I just kinda laughed at him and he's like, What? I said, what? <laughs> you think you're gonna leave? Like, we're not letting you leave. You're getting your goat, man. Like, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. You know, and, and there's there's difference when you can work with someone. Yeah. You know, but there's gonna be people that you just can't work with. And and then some of those people though, like, that's where and you're you are right. I'm just being a smart ass when I'm with my public service announcements, obviously. But there are, you know, I'm mad at myself when someone slips through the cracks. And I have, and, I, and I've done, I've had those guys that slipped through the cracks that I booked and sent my guides with. And they didn't get it done, and, but it's not my guide's fault. Yeah. Because it's ultimately my fault because this guy slipped through the freaking cracks and I shouldn't even have booked them, you know. And I mean that in a way of like, you know the person, after talking to him till blue in the face about getting in better shape, and I knew that I figured he would, and he didn't, and he came in worse shape. Or, you know, the guys who, you know, you just know maybe an issue, and maybe you should just not book them. You know, and, and but you, if you, when you're eternal optimistic type of person, you like to think you could get them there. Yeah. But if you can't, you know. And it is, and it is really, it's really easy to leave every hunt. If anything that's not successful to blame it on yeah. the client as a guide. that's pretty normal because yeah. we're typically in much better shape. You know, we think we know what we're doing, but it was funny because, uh, I met Jocko what, last year, total archery challenge. And I remember when I talked to him, I said, you know what? Taking ownership. It was interesting. Like a few years before I'd met him. I started like thinking like to myself, instead of like always blaming it on the client, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many blames on the client. It was like, you know, maybe I just need to do a little better job of explaining stuff. And even if I come off as like telling someone too much, at least I will have spoke my piece and hopefully they won't forget this step. Like, especially with bow hunters, I get a lot of bow hunters that they've bow hunted a lot of things throughout the world it's not always a dangerous game animal mm-hmm. up close and people will forget things or dangerous terrain, <clears throat> dangerous terrain. Yeah. hundred yep. percent. And, um, and a lot of these things, they won't know how they're going to react until they're in that moment. They just don't know. You can't just go like, Hey, go to the zoo, stand, uh, ask the, ask the zoo trainer to open the gate and you go stand next to a bear at 10 yards and just kind of work on your capabilities of not freaking out. Yep. Can you do that? Like, no, you can't. And so talking with guys on the hill about how it's going to go down for a bear mm-hmm. you know next to them and is there anything that i could because like what would happen was guys would forget a step in their process yep. rifle bow anything they forget one step really and it's com- crucial really common thing really common thing yeah. and at the end of it when the opportunity you know it's gone what happened oh man i didn't i didn't do x i didn't do y i didn't do z you know, and um, and you're like, dang. And so, and it's just, well, he forgot to take his safety off. Well, he forgot to reload and shoot again mm-hmm. after he missed. And you're yelling, reload, reload. Or maybe you didn't say reload. Yeah. Um, there's just these little things that they forgot. And you just assume that this very experienced hunter would remember such a thing. And so like what I started uh, saying to some guys is like, hey, I don't want you to take offense when we're, you know, I'm just going to remind you of certain things, please don't take it as like that you don't know this. I know you probably do, but I'm just going to remind it for both of us here. I'll just say it out loud so everyone hears this so we don't forget this super simple step, mm-hmm. you know, because I know you know it. Right. It's just not everyone remembers to use the bubble in their side of their bow, you know, or or one little step. You know, I told a guy or after a bear ran off wounded and we never found it, You know, this old timer who was super experienced, but I just never thought to tell him beforehand, hey, make sure and reload and shoot again. After he shot and wounded this bear, he just sat there and watched it run off. And I was so worried that he would get mad at me for for saying, for reminding him things. Um, I just didn't do it, you know, and it cost us the bear, you know. And so there's, I think there's ways of, I mean, learning how to talk to people without offending them. Yep. You know, um, but I remember like, you know, getting back to what I was saying, talking to Jock about like, you know, that was a that was a big thing. And when I actually listened to some of his podcasts, his leadership books, I was like, wow, this really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That that does make sense of like taking ownership of what you're and what you're doing. It's really easy to blame it on everyone else. But maybe maybe we could have been doing a better job, Mm -hmm. you know, but that also it goes on both sides of the fence. Right. Um,
0: There's one that I'm working on this year and we'll work on a lot next year that I've been I've been experiencing this issue for years and never realized it but I haven't been doing a good job of explaining what broadside looks like so for years I've had hunters who who are taking shots that are not quite broadside and they thought that they were and you know we see the elk and there's you know an entrance hole up here and an exit hole you know down here it's like oh actually he was quartered a lot um, but that was happening almost every time. And when they were looking at the animal and thinking about it and taking the shot, they thought that they were taking a broadside shot. So I'm actively, this winter, going to be talking a lot about what broadside looks like and what quartering looks like. And and um, I'm even like working on some apps to kind of show that and, and show how big of a
1: difference a slight angle change makes.
3: Which sounds like... I know what broadside looks like. Right. But guess what? Yeah. They don't necessarily
1: Well it was amazing, like when I heard you talking about that the other day, I was like, Man, then I got to thinking about your moose. hmm And I was looking at it like as you were preparing to make that shot, like I'm thinking about like what I would do. Sure. You know you know what I mean? And and just even I've hunted all my life, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking about like things that I've screwed up, you know. Yep. Shot shots that I've taken, you know, yep. elk I wounded an elk few years ago that and he, he was quartering hard too mm-hmm. and i knew he was yeah i shot anyway and he he hit the dirt but he he got up and and i wasn't in a position to shoot him again yeah you know which which is all stuff that you that you need to exactly think about and i don't yeah. i uh it's amazing that i'm I, glad you
3: told us that it's probably going to hold you back on your your guide license about <laughs> wounding something you have to not ever wound anything as a as a guide or hunter so Uh, you You know thank you for that
0: (laughs) wounding is something that happens something that doesn't commonly happen though and i'm i'm glad that you did it is is taking responsibility for it and then trying to think about how to not make it happen again in the future yeah you're you're years ahead of yourself and uh i'm i'm really excited for your future and guiding so kind of to wrap this thing back into the beginning if someone is is in Kansas or or Missouri or Oklahoma or any other state and you know they're growing up and they're listening to this and they think I want to be an Alaskan guide Um, now they know a little bit about the process of like being a packer you know taking some cheap wages for a couple years being an assistant guide um, and then becoming a registered guide and someday becoming a master guide or whatever but how did you take that first step to to come up here and start being a packer like if, if you want to take that step and go from like i want to do this to like okay how do i do this what is that first step and, and how did you do it
1: well so so i'll start by giving by giving a little bit of a backstory on, on like how long i've known that i wanted to do this and and then the moment that i realized that i from going from where i wanted to do it to where i said i was going to do it um so like i mean for as for as long as i can remember hunting i eat breathe sleep, it you know so it it was everything to me and you know even 6th grade like for some reason this is this is a really vivid memory but we had a program you know how they do school programs and you go and you sing songs and do whatever for your parents and and so 6th grade you know you're getting ready to go into junior high kind of you know getting getting ready to start a new chapter and we were supposed to go to this program dressed up as what we wanted to be when we grew up mhm And I was the only kid there decked out in full camo and hunting boots, you know, man. So you, you show up and, and I got a lot of funny looks, you know, I got a, you know, they, kids are like, what are you wearing? You know, and I, and I vividly remember it because it was, and so that, that really, you know, it, it reveals like just looking back on how long I wanted to do it. And so then when that transferred to when I decided I was going to do it, I was a senior in high school and I was getting ready to graduate school a semester early okay you know like cole Cole earlier was talking earlier today he was talking about how how school was for him and he didn't always do the best and and i'm that exact same way man i like teachers teachers that could handle me and teachers that did stuff they thoroughly enjoyed me because i i was a very capable kid but i didn't apply myself in a lot of ways and so i actually went to a an accelerated not not accelerated but it was like a alternative deal. So I went and I did my senior year of high school in, in a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So so I was just starting that and I was, I was going elk hunting and I was going by myself and I had dro- driven up the night before and I had slept in my pickup and I had got up early that morning and it was just socked in blowing nasty. You know I couldn't see 20 yards. I drove up on top of this mountain. I couldn't see 20 yards and I was like man I just not doing it you know i might as well go back and go go work on getting done with school and so i i jumped in the ranger and i drove back to my pickup that was parked that was parked on a little sliver that i had cell service and and i got in i'm like man i don't want to go back to school but i have to and i got to get this done but then i like started thinking like oh man i'm going to be done with school here in here in four months what am i going to do you know Um, Big question for somebody who's about to graduate school. It it absolutely is, you know, and most kids chalk it up. I'm going to go to college and and do it, and and that's a really good thing. You know, college is a great thing, but it's it's a really easy thing for a lot of kids, you know, because they enjoy school and they can go, and it's just the next step in life. But when you're not planning, when you don't love school like that, it's it's a big you know, undertaking for, for everybody. It's something that everybody goes through. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, man, what am I going to do? I'm like, well, what have I always wanted to do? And so I pulled out my cell phone on this little spot and I'm sitting in my truck, you know, heat going and the wind's blowing. And and I'm just like, what, if I want to be a hunting guide. And so I'm like, okay, well, where, where could I do this? And Alaska was always something, you know, for, for as long as I can remember watching it on TV, you know, I would watch hunting shows and, and stuff like that and so i just pulled out my phone and i looked up alaskan outfitters i didn't i didn't know anybody up here i didn't have any connection to alaska at all Mm -hmm. i pulled up alaskan outfitters and i and i the website came up and i clicked on just the first link and i called the phone number and so they didn't answer and so i just went down the line and i didn't get Hardly any answers. You know, you leave a you leave a message, and and what do you what do you say when when you're just calling people? It, it was kind of a tricky thing for me to figure out. You know, I was like, well, what? Well, I mean, what do I say? My name. Hi, my name's Luke Garrig. I want to I want to do this, and and pans out that that was actually probably the right thing to say. It's just here I am. Here's what I'm about, yep. and and this is this is my options. And so when I I finished up that day, and I drove home, I went back to school. Uh, and did whatever and I called like five six outfitters left messages and so I don't remember who I called or or what I did I I wasn't very thought out in that process of taking notes you know and remembering what I said to each outfitter and who I talked to and but the one I do remember was it's it's a website and it had Rebecca Francis with with her archery doll sheep Mm -hmm. Um, you know and she's wearing white clothing and for I really liked that sheep I I thought it was awesome and so I looked up Alaskan outfitters like three days later and I called it again. I'm just being persistent. I'm like, man, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And so I called it again and I got a hold of, a hold of Bill, Bill Stevenson. And, and he's, a, you know, they're talking to people and being like, Hey man, like what, what can I do? And this and that, it's a hard thing. And they're like, you know, and, and Bill was actually super cool. He's like, well, here, here's what we're about, you know, and, and helped me. And so then that's that's how I made my first connection was was with Bill Stevenson and and I was planning on coming up for that that next spring bear season and so this is right amidst COVID yep. and so I came up and, and Bill actually does glacier tours yep. and so after I graduated school I was dinking around for a month and I got on the phone with Bill I wasn't doing anything yep. you know you couldn't really find a job I I would, had been working at the tire shop but I I had hurt myself snowboarding so I wasn't working there and when i called bill and i'm like hey man what's the glacier tours about he told me and i'm like well when can i come help you do that and he's like yeah so i i go up there i help him uh, i can't, i ended up coming home because of covid mm-hmm. and then that you know preceding that two months later whatever they actually canceled the bear season uh which which was a big thing and then you know made made some it just being up here it made contacts and so and so from there i bill got me hooked up with cash and and that's and that's how i'm here yep. yeah yeah
3: so once the What I found, too, like, getting in, because it sounded like it was such a hard thing to get into. Um, I had a fairly similar experience with you, like, in terms of, uh, I remember my senior year calling people. um, I had an English teacher let me use their phone, and I had, like, some outdoor, I'll just say outdoor life. Could have been sports, but it doesn't matter. In the back, you know, you got, says, you know, Alaska canada you know whatever And there's outfits and you know i just started calling some outfits in my in her office and you know talk trying to get a hold of outfitters some of you would some of you wouldn't and i remember a couple guys answering and it's like yeah i just want to become a guide um and they're like okay well where are you at now i'm in you know i'm in lisa missouri okay um so how old are you i'm like oh i'm 17 18 like are you in Are you in school? Like, yeah, yeah, I am. They're like, Why aren't you in school now? I'm like, no, I am. They're like, What you are are you I'm like, no, I'm calling on my teacher's phone. Like, but when I get out of school this next year, it'd be you know, I'd roll and they're like, Yeah, why don't you just call when you're actually gonna be eligible to actually come up here and hunt? Like, don't don't waste our time right now, basically. And uh but I was just calling him, trying to get a, get something going, you because know, I really didn't know. Yeah. And um, I came up, my, you know, I was fortunate because my uncle and aunt were up here in the Coast Guard, and when I came up on a deer hunt in November, I talked to my aunt and asked her if she knew any outfitters, and she said, yeah, I do know one, actually. And so she called and asked if I could, you know, hey, I have a nephew here, just wanting any information. The guy was kind enough to sit down with me over a cup of coffee and and explain just how to even because I had zero clue You know, yeah how, how do you even become a guy like I don't even know
0: it's complicated
3: yeah I, I, don't, I don't have a clue you know all I know is I like to hunt that's it and I know they've got like wranglers and stuff like that for these outfits I don't know and he you know was nice enough to explain things to me and I remember leaving that place going wow okay this is way different than I thought okay so there's licensing apprenticeships. Like, holy smokes. This is a a longer process than I thought. You know, I just did not know. And they're like, well, we don't even, I'm like, hey, should I go, you know, one of the big things was should I go to one of these guide schools, like in out west? Mm -hmm. You know, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado. They put on guide schools. He's like, no, not for up here. It's a waste of time. You're going to learn about horses. You're going to learn about what they do down there. It has nothing to do with up here. They're like, you're better off just coming and uh, working for one of us and we'll teach you exactly how we want you to operate that's for up here in certain parts of alaska that's not saying that it's not good to go to a guide school down in you know montana wyoming colorado they're probably great if you're going to be a horseback guy uh wrangler any of that nature probably great you know or in canada that'd be that'd be it'd help you but for us up here it it's not it's not something we're going to be using some of those skills that you're paying to become a wrangler you know or to learn how to use horses because a lot of us don't use them up here in Alaska. There's a few outfits, but, but we don't, uh, and a lot of people don't, but um, it's just learning what needs to be done and making those phone calls. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to really know what you're doing. You don't have to, you just got to have that desire to want to be out there and do it. And you know, Hey, if you get paid, awesome. If you don't, don't, don't think about the money aspect. Obviously you gotta, you gotta get taken care of and stuff like that. But, the big thing is if you want to actually pursue that type of adventure you know and it's and it's like i've talked about it before but it's not you know when you're younger it's much easier to come up and do you know when you're older there's plenty of older guys it's like man i just want to change a pace and become a guide you know and do something different yeah it can be hard when you're married and kids and you got bills to pay i mean dude you're not going to make good money for years it's going to take you time to get your license and once you be actually start guiding, then you'll start to make some, some better money for sure. But that's not, you know, it's a way of life. You know, it's just like ranching and all sorts of stuff like, you know, being a cowboy, you know, or something of that nature. You're mm-hmm. you're not going to get ultra wealthy doing it. You know, it's just a matter of enjoying being out here, being around the people, the animals, you know, doing what you want to do, you know.
0: How well, do you want to, you know, work for a, for a bank for 25 years, and then now you've got 30 grand set aside so that you can spend 14 days on a bear hunt. Or do you want to hunt bears 100 days out of the year?
1: Yeah, and make less money. I mean, that's exactly it. Like, and and when I when I you know mean coming to Alaska, I was like, man, I'll probably you know not not to say that I wouldn't, but I mean I'll, I'll probably never be able to afford to go on one of these hunts. So why not try and go? You know, work on them and get to go on for a year. Yeah. You know, it is. Well,
3: and the thing is, what honestly, there's a lot of guys. I think what better place if you're not looking at yourself going into college, or maybe maybe you maybe you are going to go to college, or maybe take a little break after high school in between college and come up and clear your mind and get out here, learn something new, um, and and it may open your mind. And allow you to think about what you want to do in life you know a lot of, there's a lot of guys that come out here and and pack or become a guide um, that think man and maybe that it's not that they don't like guiding but it's like man i think actually in life i want to do i want to do this and it opens up their mind to to become you know to go get their degree in xyz i mean i have met a lot of guides throughout my time that are very educated people that have done some amazing things in, in our part of some other industry, but still have their guide license and come once or twice a year because they love, they love getting out and taking people hunting, you know, because I know like for me, I mean, I don't even really know what to do when I, when I shoot something myself, I've been very fortunate to travel around the world and, and hunt for myself, but I can't say that it's, so much better feeling when i shoot something versus when i take someone out and they get an animal and it all comes together like it's a pretty awesome feeling. and if you're a guy who if you don't thoroughly enjoy taking other people out, you should not be a guide because there are plenty of guys who are very very effective hunters. That should not be guides. They're, I mean, they they're, do they're, not they're, they're different things.
0: Hunting totally and guiding are very things. different things. Yep. Yep. It's it's two different sides of the trigger and and the the skills required are, are very very different now a guide needs to have hunting skills and a hunter should have some guiding skills mm-hmm. but they are different things yeah yeah and that, you, that, that's kinda, a rookie mistake right so yeah. i love to hunt so i'm going to become a guide like a lot of us start that way yeah maybe all of us yep um but you realize immediately that they're different otherwise you turn out to to not be a good yeah. guide. If well you
3: can't kind of like be a good babysitter and i mean that in a nice way of of uh you got to help people yeah and and it's a just, service job it's a serv. that's right service industry and if you don't enjoy taking care of people you know because some guys you're gonna need to really really help yeah and then there's some people you're like oh this is so easy it was like hunting with your buddy yeah you know goes so smooth but you have to be good at that and that you hear it all the time oh man so and so's a good hunter he should be a guide or man i could do that i'm a really good hunter it's yeah like, well cool then go do it but you're but people will find out that just because you're a good hunter doesn't mean and, and a lot of people you know I, I hear it from guys who are honest who say man i love hunting for myself but i don't think i can handle doing what you do you know i, I can't take care of people like that it's like Okay, well, at least that person's being honest. Yeah, you great. Know, that's something you have it's to. It's not for everybody. Yep, yep. yep. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with coming out here and finding that out. Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd much rather a guy, like a badass hunter, tell me, man, I don't think I can do it, rather than my client coming to me later saying, man, he was pretty rough on me out there, or you know, he he, he was mean, he couldn't you know get me on the animal, or he just hiked my butt off. He said, you know. And it it turns into a bad experience, you know, you you don't want that. You want to avoid that, you know, but just, you just got to be honest with yourself,
0: you know, always be honest. Well, any, uh, any closing thoughts for, uh, for some, some young or old, old buck or doe that wants to come up and be an Alaskan guide.
3: Just take the chance.
1: You know, you'll never know unless you go. That's exactly it, man. Just going out there and doing it. Just finding a way i uh bill, bill the guy that I actually got a hold of first i i we were just recently talking you know about about some stuff that I got going on and what what I you know where my future's leading and what I intend to do and I, and I asked him like so so down this avenue do you think there's some opportunity mm-hmm. and he looked at me and, and he's kind of a guy you know that it takes a few minutes you know there sometimes you won't get an answer out of him and so uh he he looks at me and he he kind of like shakes his head, I'm like oh no I Said something wrong, you know, and he's like, he's like Luke. There's opportunity everywhere, and he says, and it's they're not doors that open. It's a room that you got to kick down the door and say, I'm here, here I am, and so, and so that you know, it's it's changed just in the last two weeks since he said it to me. It's it's you know, I think about I think about it often.
0: Well, you're, you're doing such a good job that I'm gonna do my best. To make sure that you don't become an Alaskan guide, and I'm going to try and turn you into an Oregon guide. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I I sure do appreciate it, you know.
1: And and like I said, wherever wherever the opportunity is, and I, I look yeah. forward to dealing with you. Well, so. you're you're doing great, buddy, and, and I'm
0: I'm looking forward to seeing where you go from here. And uh, I think that that
1: someday people are going to be incredibly fortunate to get the opportunity to hunt with you. Yeah, I I appreciate it. I mean that me it means beyond the world. You know, I. I yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, good job. Thank you.
2: I live in an old cabin with bad to non-existent insulation and wood heat. That cabin can see snow every month of the year and needs a good amount of firewood stacked in the woodshed to carry through the colder months. This spring, as my woodpile turned to smoke and ash, I noticed something metal pushing out of the decades of sawdust and bark. I kicked at it and unearthed a Stanley thermos. The cup was missing, and it showed more worn stainless steel than green. There were dents in the metal, and the handle looked like a puppy had chewed on it, but it still hadn't leaked the old coffee I could feel slosh inside. It took me back to memories of cutting firewood with my dad, waking up early for an elk hunt, or going out to the canyons to gather cattle. A Stanley thermos has the durability to survive whatever hard work you throw at it. You may find it carries memories as well as coffee. Learn more about their new and classic line of products at stanley1913.com or at your local sporting goods store. And we'll Catch you next week.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the six ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.